Let's pray. Our Father, we are gathered here tonight because of your mercy to us. And we acknowledge that we wouldn't be here otherwise. So we thank you, Lord, for making us part of your people, your kingdom, and redeeming us and making us a family, Lord. Um, these, these are just wonderful things. We are forever grateful and cause us to be content and a grateful people, Lord, um, that delivers us from so many other sins um, when we're grateful, thankful to you to be our Father. Lord, we ask for enlightenment by your Holy Spirit as we continue to study <clears throat> the word about your Son and that you would further equip us to teach our children, teach those around us. Lord, we pray for our loved ones who are not believers, Lord, um, that you would show them mercy, that you would soften hearts, that you would uh, work in consciences uh, before, Lord, before it's too late. We commit them to you and ask your mercy uh, upon them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in that period of time between the Lord's resurrection and his ascension and studying what we know during that 40-day period. And we started uh, last week, I think, or I'm, I, we're studying the Great Commission passages. There, there are three of them, Matthew, Luke, and John. And tonight we were up to Luke. Actually, last week we studied Matthew. Uh, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And we tied that into Old Testament scripture that speaks of Jesus' exaltations and he receives all the nations as his inheritance. Psalm chapter 2 is a great summary of, of the transition that takes place after Jesus rises from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God. And he sends his disciples into all the nations, go to all the nations and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in a triune name and then teaching them of all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So Jesus' lordship or his kingship is first manifested not by judgment upon us nations. His, his initial kingship and lordship is actually manifested by preserving his church and sending his people into all those nations to make the gospel offer known. And that's how his authority is first manifested. Ultimately, that authority will be manifested in judgment. At the end of the age, there will be judgment of all those nations. And so we're living right in the middle of that. We're part of that. Okay, We're, we're part of that Matthew 28 uh, Great Commission. And it helps us if we, you know, get the vision of how big this thing is and that we're actually, you know, we're part, we're part of that. So, pray, you know, praise God uh, for that. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Moving on, I'm thinking about Matthew. Um, yeah, yeah let's, so, so we're moving on tonight to Luke and John. 
So we're going to start uh, with Luke's account, and we'll find that in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. And Luke uh, brings some very other significant information from Jesus into these commissions. And just as uh, <clears throat> Matthew proceeded directly from Jesus' appearance to the Great Commission passage, and it was the end of his gospel, Luke does, does very similar to that. And backing up here in Luke verse 42, well, verse 41, this is resurrection evening. Jesus appears to the disciples and initially they're frightened in verse 41. We'll pick it up there. But, but, but while they did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And at that point, um, Luke transitions immediately to the, the Great Commission accounts. Then he said to them, there may be a chronological break here. Some of your Bibles probably read and here. Uh, and, you know, you can translate that Greek. That Greek Prepositions are always the hardest things in any language to learn them. And uh, so let me just see if that is the case. I suspect it is. I can almost tell when, when those... That, or now, okay? <laughs> Then implies immediate sequence, where now doesn't necessarily imply it as strongly in the English language as a then. So let's see what other people did. Well, NIT did a did a then, and and uh, they didn't. NIV didn't even translate the. Uh, they just said he said to them, he he said to them, and anyways. Uh, We're just not, we're not sure how to chronologically fit all these things together, but that's, that's not a problem. What's important is during this 40 days, Jesus gave his disciples instruction about their mission. And these gospel authors recorded some of the key things of that for us. And, and that's what's important. So then he said to them, uh, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And so he's talking about his three years of ministry with them. It's like, this is not new. I, I, I've spoken to you about these things already. And, uh, and, and what was part of Jesus' message? That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. So that that was a theme of Jesus' instruction to his disciples, and it's got to be a theme for us as well. Okay, not some of the things, but all of the things, the language is strong, must be fulfilled, which were written, what? In the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning me. That's the Jewish, the Jewish division of the Old Testament into three parts. So Jesus, by making that statement, is referring to your entire Old Testament. The Old Testament that we have is what he's referring to in, in that statement. So uh, <clears throat> everything that's in there has to be fulfilled uh, concerning him. 
And uh, Luke tells us, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And so that's a, he gave them a supernatural assistance to understand the Old Testament correctly. And that's just a wonderful thing. And I, and I believe the Holy Spirit still does that to this very day with us. Is that he opens our minds to understand the scriptures. And we probably should, um, to comprehend the scriptures, we, we probably should not narrow that to just intellectual. There's probably an element there of believing and accepting the scriptures. Um, It'd be interesting to see um, what the what if some of the other translations on comprehend. He opened their minds to understand, understand. Yeah, most of them comprehend or understand. Yeah. So, so this is vital for their mission to preach Christ to all the nations and preach Him correctly. Understanding the Old Testament is important, isn't it? If Jesus did this for the twelve apostles whom he's sending out, then how can we possibly de-emphasize the need to understand the Old Testament? We can't. Now, of course, unfortunately, we know in our culture a lot of people are doing that. And even people that claim to be conservative evangelicals. But here we have the very example of Jesus ensuring that these men understand that Old Testament. And that's going to become a foundation to help them um, carry out this great commission. So uh, I, I know I'm going off a little bit, but, <clears throat> but uh, this is very significant what he's doing here. So then he said to them, okay, thus it is written... You know, since all of these scriptures relate to him, every, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary. I, I love that, that order. You see, if it's written, then it is what? Necessary. <laughs> if it's written, it has to come to pass. Because that's God's mind, that's God's purpose, that's God's plan. And if that's written then God's going to carry it out. See, that's the whole point. Since it's written, it's necessary, what? That necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. This had to happen. Nothing went out of control. Uh, <clears throat> now, interestingly, more things were also written. The, the, the correct way to read this text is things that have been fulfilled were written, but there's more that's written that has not yet been fulfilled. And that's the next part of the text. The thus it is written applies to the past that is fulfilled, but the thus that is written is also applies to that repentance and remission of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Verse 47 is the verse 47 is also a summary of what's written in the Old Testament that is not yet fulfilled. 
And last Wednesday, we looked at Isaiah chapter 42, 1 through 12. Remember that wonderful passage about the coastlands and all of that and singing a new song where there is a prophecy in Isaiah that the Lord is going to call the Gentiles and they are going to become part of his people. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's getting ready to launch that phase of, of God's redemptive history. So the thus it is written applies to verse 47 and that repentance and remission should be preached in his name. That's not a new part. That's not a new plan. That has been the plan ever since which covenant? Abrahamic covenant. Why did you say that? They will be blessed. And all nations shall be blessed in you and your seed. So this bringing the, bringing the Gentiles and the nations into the kingdom or, or, or into God's people, that's not plan B. That is plan A all the way down there with the Abrahamic covenant when God is going to bless him and bless Israel. But that's going to spill over and, and, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so verse 47 is moving forward with the fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant promise. So, uh, <clears throat> and of course he's going to send them out. He's getting ready to launch, launch this whole thing. So, um, so this is also written, uh, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations. Let me let me get into my notes here now. So, uh, the disciples will be Jesus' instruments of proclaiming repentance and remission of sins in Jesus' name to all the nations. So this is, of course, theologically super significant, right? The only way that repentance and remission of sins can properly be proclaimed is in Jesus' name, okay? You can't offer God's forgiveness if you avoid Jesus Christ. <laughs> You can't have a religion that talks about God granting forgiveness if that religion leaves out Jesus Christ. This remission of sins is only authorized in his name, in Jesus' name. Okay? That's why all the unbelieving Jews... I'm not anti-Semitic, but that's why all the unbelieving Jews, unbelieving ethnic Jews, they do not have any forgiveness. Right? They reject Jesus as crucified and risen and as the Messiah. They do not have any forgiveness. They're just like a Gentile that doesn't have any forgiveness. It can only be proclaimed in Jesus' name. And so, when we evangelize the ethnically Jewish people, we really have to graciously take away their false hope 
They've got some kind of hope that they belong to God. And they're out of covenant. They don't. And whether we, whether we need to bring all that in, we don't really. Well, but, but here, you see, it's, it's the, this forgiveness from God is preached in His name to all the nations. So, um, that's not optional. So, um, okay, repentance and the remission. Most of our translations say for remission. And that, that's probably the better translation. That's just another one of those difficult things. But, but when we study the doctrine of repentance, we see that repentance and faith are always the gateway to forgiveness. The prodigal son, for instance. Okay, He <laughs> repented, I'm going to go back to my father, and he believed his father was merciful. And what did he receive? He received forgiveness, of course. And uh, so the best way to understand repentance is to study Jesus' parables. That's absolutely the best way. And Jesus' examples in the Gospels. I mean, we need to kind of study it analytically at times and what the Word means and that kind of stuff. But to understand repentance experientially, there's nothing better than, than seeing how Jesus talks about repentance. It's, it's, it's wonderful, actually. Um, so... Uh, so this is their mission. They're going to begin fulfilling the Old Testament scripture of, of, of God calling his people from all the Gentile nations, uh, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, you know, we can't but wonder what the disciples were thinking as they're hearing this, you know. All the nations, <laughs> beginning at Jerusalem, you know, and, and all the nations especially, you know, like we said last week, Prior to this, Israel was sequestered, right? They, they were all, you know, kept in this one spot. And, and now it's just the opposite. Now they're being told they're actually got to go outside of Israel and they've got to go to all the nations. And, but, Jesus says, beginning at Jerusalem. So there's still this to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile, Brian. I uh, would note about that the graciousness of God towards the weakness of the Jew that in Jerusalem they have to first accept the Jews of the dispersion. Because even for some Jews in Jerusalem, their pride was that the Jews of the dispersion were lesser Jews. That's right. And guess what happens? They believe. (laughs) Yes. And the Jews have to accept their own kind first as a gateway almost to the nations. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I thought of yeah. in the way the Lord's working there is that he's not just going to, you know, have just Jews, but he's going to bring Jews from around the world for Pentecost. That's right. And they're all going to be there and they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to believe. Um, I also yeah. noted uh, yeah. in the unrelated note that it's only in Luke 24 here three times the passage says that it is written or that the Christ must suffer. Um, yeah. Other gospels say that, but here in Luke, it's three times yeah. in the same chapter. Yeah, you're right. He really, he really is driving home that lesson to all of us, to them and to us, uh, to to understand the necessity of of the Lord's suffering, and that was according to Scripture. Yeah, these these passages are just are just so helpful to us. Um, 
And um, okay, now, and, and even Jerusalem will be given another opportunity to repent and receive forgiveness. See, he says that. Even Jerusalem. There's no city there in all of the land of Israel that rejected Jesus more thoroughly than Jerusalem. Okay, that's where the hostility was the greatest. And that's why Jesus avoided Jerusalem quite a bit. He would go down there at the feast, and then he would return to the north. We, we walked through all of that when we went through the rest of the New Testament. And so there was no place that the rejection was fiercer than in Jerusalem. And yet the Lord wants them to begin and proclaim this offer of forgiveness uh, based on repentance uh, one more time to Jerusalem. Now that that's going to end, isn't it? When when does that end? I mean, when did that kind of end as far as Jerusalem as a city? How much time did they have? Right, Richard, in 70 A.D. There was no more city. There was no more Jerusalem after 70 A.D. It was a pile of ruins. And Jesus, of course, in his own teaching, he said that this generation's not going to pass away until the armies surround Jerusalem and it's completely destroyed. So they were given one more generation opportunity um, uh, to repent. And quite a significant number of Jews in Jerusalem did. You know, the Jerusalem church was up to like 5,000. There were 5,000 believers there after the first couple months uh, of, of the book of Acts. So the Lord did call a significant number of, of the Jewish people out of, out of Jerusalem. And others hardened. And uh, so, But the offer goes there first. Uh, <clears throat> but forgiveness is only available in Jesus' name. I already said that. And one other note I got scribbled in handwriting here is Think about this for a moment from a Orthodox Jewish perspective. You see, um, that hasn't yet understood that Jesus is a fulfillment of all the sacrifices. So when that Orthodox Jewish mind is thinking about forgiveness, uh, how do I know I can be forgiven? What do I do to be forgiven? He's going to go back to the law. He's going to go right back to Leviticus and, and ten times in Leviticus chapters four and five, eight times there's a ritual prescribed and it ends with, and his sins shall be forgiven. And there's, that's eight times in Leviticus four and five. And we're going to return to that later when we get the John's version of the Great Commission. But you see, the fact that that Jesus is saying, tell them that remission of sins is in my name, is like, well, wait a minute. All my life I was trained to think remission of sins was according to Moses and the law that he gave to Israel and the, and the high priest. And that was correct. But that's not correct any longer. So that's the transition that even a faithful Jew, even a humble converted Jew, that's the transition that they have to work through. You see, they have their Old Testament. They have the promises, follow this ritual, 
and his sin shall be, will be forgiven. Now, when they practiced that in faith, they were forgiven. Now, a lot of them didn't practice that in faith, but those faithful Jews that, that we see some of them around the birth of Christ, don't we? When they practice that in faith, in God's mercy, that God says, I will forgive you, and you know that I need to be forgiven, they were forgiven because that was the means that God, God appointed and there had to be faith. So, so the, even the believing Jew at this time had to, it, my forgiveness is not by me going to the high priest and bringing the offering that the law describes in order to obtain the promise that it describes, his sin shall be forgiven him, this is different. <laughs> I'm to stop doing that and I'm beginning to repent and believe in Christ crucified. So, yeah, I, you, you see the point, that, the point that I'm making just to, to try to help us grasp how difficult that transition was. And we see that when we get in the book of Acts. And you talk... Is this on? Yeah. You talk about the transition. A Jew, Jesus said, um, talked about the things that were written of him. Was it, was it obvious that the Jews that knew their Old Testament would say, aha, now I see? Or, I mean, to Many us, of them did say that. They, yes. Right. I think once, once somebody acquainted a Jew with the life and the teaching of Jesus, the connection suddenly, if, if there's not a heart problem, you know, the connection is made. And, and Jesus actually told the hardened, unbelieving Jews there in John 5 or 8, I always get those two mixed up, uh, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Because he wrote, about me, okay? And so if you do not believe his words, I'm not quoting it all correctly, but, but so Jesus lays down that principle. If you properly understand the Old Testament, you will see that it points to Jesus. But it works both directions. If you properly understand what Jesus did, his life, his death, his resurrection, it points also, it, it, they point to each other. And, of course, the stumbling block, especially for the Jews, was not intellectual. I mean, in our culture with the Gentiles, a lot of times we have these intellectual stumbling blocks in our way, and we have to work through those. They, they were all hardcore theists, okay? The Jews were hardcore theists, and they said the God of the Old Testament is just fine with us, <laughs> So the, the stumbling block with them was a couple things. One, they had a wrong conception of Messiah. He, they thought of the Messiah was going to be like a Joshua or a David. And he was going to destroy the Gentile nations and restore Israel to a kingdom like the days of Solomon where the Gentiles are bringing their wealth into Israel and, and Israel is putting into subjection all the nations. 
Now, where'd they get that idea? Well, you read your Old Testament, and that, that idea is in the Old Testament, of course. And, and, and we're heading that direction. But what they stumbled over was the first coming, Messiah was going to be humble and suffer. So that was the first big stumbling block for many of them. Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jewish mind. Paul says that when he writes in 1 Corinthians. So that was, that was one stumbling block. The second and probably more significant stumbling block is they were self-righteous. Jesus came with a message to save sinners, and guess what? He classified all those Jewish people in that category. And that was the second big stumbling block. Okay, unless you repent, you like the Tower of Siloam. Remember, they, uh, uh, Doreen, some of the Jews came to Jesus and told him about how Pilate mingled their blood with their sacrifices. And, and what they meant was, is some of these Jews were, were in Galilee, they were doing something, and Pilate must have thought they were planning an insurrection, and he had them all executed. Okay, that's the background there. And so the news of that made it over to Jesus. Somebody told Jesus about that incident. They came and told Jesus what Pilate had done. And Jesus knows their thinking. He responds to them and says, you know, do you think those Jews that Pilate killed were greater sinners than all the other sinners in Galilee? And Jesus knows that is exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking, yeah, boy, those guys must have really done something bad. And that's why they suffered this fate. He knows they're thinking in that self-righteous way. And so he says, do you think those Jews whom, you know, were greater sinners than all the others in Galilee? And he says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, and he doesn't mean you will all likewise perish, meaning Pilate will kill you. What it means is unexpected judgment will fall upon you. And then he did it twice. I think then Jesus brought up the Tower of Siloam thing that fell and killed 18 people. And Jesus said, do you think those 18 were greater, you know, were greater sinners than all in Jerusalem? And he says, I tell you no, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. But he knew they were thinking self-righteously that those guys must have really been evil. That's why they perished this way. So that's, that's the second stumbling block of, of the Jews. And you see it on display in the Apostle Paul. Paul writes his conversion experience in Philippians chapter 3, where he says, you know, touching the law, blameless, all of those things. If anybody has right, you know, um, 
uh, to trust in the flesh, I more so. You know, circumcised the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, of the, of the law of Pharisee, all of that list, you see. A lot of Jews were like that. And that's all self-righteousness. And, it's ne- and God will never accept us on that basis. And he never accepted Israel on that basis. Okay? He never accepted Israel on that basis. Ever. The covenants were always his gracious initiation, not based on their performance. So Paul goes through that. He tells all his self-righteousness. And finally, what? I had to count that all garbage that I might be found in Christ, not with a righteousness of my own according to the law, but the, but, but the righteousness of God which comes by faith in Christ. So that's the self-righteous problem. Now, it isn't just the Jews that have the self-righteous problem. All of us have the self-righteous problem. We're all born that way and and... And, you know, we think God will accept us because of our performance. And that's just not true. So, we all have that self-righteous... David has his hand up back there, and we'll give him the microphone. Okay, so my question is, um, how much was the Moses and the prophets aware of that their current system was pointing to something greater? Um, they were aware to some degree. Of first, Peter makes reference to that uh, in First Peter. Let's read that verse in First Peter. It's First Peter chapter 1. See, if my hands were on the keyboard, I'd find the keys immediately. <laughs> but since I'm pick typing, I'm, I'm very slow. That, that's interesting. Bible works is easier for displaying like this than accordance. Uh, so I'm not on accordance right now. Okay, First Peter chapter 1. Uh, it's in here. Let's find it. Yeah. Peter's talking about this great salvation Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So that's that's the best answer I can give. So it seems like that's talking about details. So to me, it's like they had an understanding that there was a Messiah that was to come that wasn't just a political Messiah. Yes, they understood that this was more of this. This is God incarnate, so to say. Right. Well, I I mean, I don't say I don't think any of them would use that full of an expression. Uh, they might mm-hmm. have understood that it seems like the Messiah has divine 
as attribute. a deep, deeper spiritual meaning than just a political figure. Oh, definitely not just political. Okay. A faithful Israelite would understand the reason they are still basically exiled. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in the land, but they don't possess the land. So when you think about Second, Judea, Second Temple Judaism, mm-hmm. and by that we mean when Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple and the wall, we call that Second Temple, Solomon's Temple first. Mm-hmm. At Second Temple, they were not really ever fully restored because they never possessed the land. They were under the dominion of Gentile kingdoms. And so a faithful Israelite would understand the reason we got here and are still here is because of sin. They would understand that. The biggest problem was not that we're under the authority of Romans. The biggest problem is because nationally we are unrighteous. Right. But only a remnant would understand that. Right, and that's what I'm saying. It seems like there was a kind of a two-tiered religious understanding because there was always referred to as the remnant. So it's almost like if the remnant understood something more than... Absolutely. Kind of like what we have with Christianity. We have a uh, kind of a universal church, and then we have a remnant with inside of it that yeah. under- understands the gospel, yeah. understands you know, the reality of it, because it seems like to me that there's really just two religious systems in the world. One, mm-hmm. you know, which is putting their faith in God, you know, through Christ, and then, which is, you know, being justified by faith, and then another one, which is pretty much all other religions, well, I would say all other religions, yes, yeah, that, that is all works-based. works, works based. Right. All religions are works-based, and it's almost like there's a, a, yeah. a depth of, there's a missing depth of understanding in all religions. Well, yeah, uh, some have used that, the expression of there's only two, it, it's works or grace. <laughs> right. Uh, right. And that applies to us as Gentiles as well as it, you right. know, it did to the Jewish people. So which people. gets me back to, you know, the prophets, and, the prophets and maybe a teaching that they were providing that had a deeper understanding to what was being said. And it was more focused upon this Messiah rather than keeping the law. Yes. They would would understand when when we're talking about keeping the law, if we're we're talking about that from reading the Old Testament law Mm -hmm. as as a Jew would read it, Mm -hmm. and that's how we ought to read it Mm -hmm. to understand it, is they would... Keeping the law would include all the sacrificial aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So keeping the law is not just keeping the moral requirements of the law, right. we might say. No, keeping the law involved, if you know you're sinful mm-hmm. and you have sinned, here's what you do. You get your lamb and you bring it to the high priest. That's mm-hmm. all keeping the law. 
So as a, as a Jew had real conviction of sin mm -hmm. and he kept the law, what would that make him do? It would make him ask for forgiveness. It would make him go to the priest, put his hand on that animal's head while the priest slayed that animal. Mm -hmm. That would be all keeping the law to a believing Jew in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So you see, the, the gospel is in the law. It's there in types and shadows, but it's there. So, mm -hmm. so we have a... a anyways, that's, I don't get off this subject. But, so does that... Does well, that I've just kind of always kind of wondered if the prophets didn't have, you know, given the visions that they had, they had a, a higher understanding of what they were prophesying about and that a lot of what was going on in the system was really kind of symbolic of something to come. Yeah. Yeah, well I, I think if you if you if you read this Peter passage, I think they did. Okay. But it wasn't clear like Well we not clear like when Christ when right. right. I mean it's not clear like the the time right. you know, the details, but the the whole thing that the whole system was geared towards a Messiah and then that that was really what we should be hoping in rather than our sacrifices because God That's does correct. I mean I don't you know does talk about in the Old Testament he doesn't desire the, the sacrifices. Right. Okay, that those didn't really do anything. Yeah, they they didn't well they they what's the right word? Um well, he says, I haven't, incomplete. I, I haven't desired those things, but yeah. I've desired these other things, which it was an integrity of their right. souls, you know, yeah. justice, faithfulness, these things. Yeah, but, but, he, it, but still, when those sacrifices were offered correctly, they were a sweet aroma. The, 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 the well, scripture represents it's, it's it that It's a sweet way aroma that, that, in the sense that the faith that I'm doing this stuff because this is what God said, so I'm doing it in faith, faith and obedience yes. to Him, not in that this is actually justifying me and making me right. It's my faith that's actually making me more right, you know, living yeah. quorum Deo yeah. before the face of God, acknowledging He's there, acknowledging the truth. You know, these, these, these uh, spiritual concepts, yeah. really not the... The things, yeah. the rituals, so to say, and that seems to me that that would be the the division between the remnant and the unbeliever or the non-believing Jews yes. is that the Jews. Yeah. It's just like it is today. People who you know they go to church and they do all these things. They don't even really think about it. They just they. I mean, they can hear the stuff all day long, but all they do is think, "Yeah, I'm a good person. I go to church." And that's what's going on in their head. That is. I'm, and they don't even think way. about all, it. The rest of it is like it, they don't think about it. Yeah, we're just self-righteous. Um, right. So, that's very, you know, they're just uh, Yeah, the, it people, isn't just the Jews that have the problem with being self-righteous. Right, so <laughs> that's the nature of man that, you know, when he's right. unconverted, that's the loop he's stuck in. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Good. Um this Peter passage, I'll move on and say one other thing, but it's interesting. It, it, the prophets inquired and searched carefully 
who, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, and that in itself is quite a phrase to try to understand, was indicated. But this here, it, it, we have a summary here of that Old Testament, the prophetic revelation in the Old Testament is, he testified beforehand of what? The sufferings of Christ, and the glories that would follow. That is kind of a summary at a high level of what's in that prophetic revelation is, is what that verse is saying. Okay? The Spirit of Christ in those prophets testified of the sufferings of Messiah and the glories that follow. And that's what Jesus just said in Luke 24. Thus it was written that the Christ must what? Suffer and what? Rise again the third day. That's the glories that follow. What Jesus says in Luke 24 is parallel to this statement right here in 1 Peter. So I'm just, I'm just pointing out the, the connection between what we're just looking at in Luke 24 and what, what Peter describes here as the, as the prophetic revelation through the prophets. So... Now, yeah, well, we're... we're this is, it, it seems like they did. You know... Well, it was, and you know those few passages like Isaiah 53 actually explicitly make the connection. Of, of Christ's death with uh, uh, the means of forgiveness of sins. In, in Isaiah 53, it comes that explicit. In Genesis 3.15. Oh, absolutely. There's always been a, there's always been a redemptive hope from Genesis 3.15 forward. And, and God's people have always lived with this eschatological hope looking forward. And we're no different. We're looking forward. They were looking forward to the first coming. We're looking forward to the second. It's, it, it's exactly the same tension. And all the way from the first promise, David, Genesis 3.15, that promise gave Adam and Eve hope that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent that brought all this misery into their life. So that was the first promise and the first hope for Adam and Eve and that generation. Even from the very beginning, the whole thing is... You know, you should have the microphone because there's a, a bunch of people that... that oh, it's, uh, it's, it's going red again. So even from the beginning, I <laughs> mean, you. it seems like the emphasis is on on a on a on an individual. Yes, absolutely. So a descendant whole, of the woman, right? So it's almost like anybody that it was like a false religion to just think you would be justified by works. Well, they're in the dark; they don't have the scriptures, right? And, yeah, but it seems like an that's an addition to. To, to the 
to the to the faith and the religion that was being taught from the beginning. I you lost me about that's an addition. Well, the addition would be uh, you know being justified by works. Oh, you see what I'm saying is that that all along it would have been you know a matter of faith, and that's originally what Adam would have understood that. Um, you know, yeah. some of the other people, Enoch, some of the other ones, you know, a okay. Abel, some of these other ones may have understood that it was this having faith in God and in this coming Messiah. Um, this is a really, you've opened the door to a really significant mm. aspect of what's going on here. I, I don't think... Um, how can I say this? I, I don't think the natural man who's separated from God's revelation right. has any... Uh, he, he does not have any ability to understand or comprehend grace. Right. And uh, the reason I'm saying that is... is the, the, the law is written on the conscience of all men. We're made in the right. image of God, and we have the law written on our consciences. Right. Okay. And I would say that is the moral law. That's the unchanging moral law that's written on our consciences. Okay. In other words, our consciences don't have uh, laws on how we should sacrifice. Right. Okay. Now, all ancient cultures do sacrifice, but that's because their consciences are guilty and they know that they're guilty before some authority. But the concept of grace mm. is entirely supernatural revelation. Right. The natural conscience can understand the law, sin and die. Mm. You don't need your Bible and you don't need the Incarnation to understand sin and die. Right. That's the law, and right. that's in our consciences, mm -hmm. you see. But to understand that there is forgiveness apart from the law mm -hmm. is entirely divine, supernatural divine revelation. And right. the only way that comes is through the Word of God and the Incarnation in the Son of God. Right. I I agree that, okay. but I'm talking within the the faith that's been revealed you know, okay. from Moses going yeah. forward. I mean, I would think that aspects of Moses, you know, what he said as far as the fall, Adam and Eve, and those were things that were already known prior to Moses. He was yes. just reiterating them. So there was a faith because we talk about, you know, Abel and certain... And they were absolutely, right. they were justified by faith because Abel believed. Right. Uh, and that's he, all he, argument he, that Paul's making. That, that's the argument that Paul's making, that these people in the Old Testament were actually justified by faith and believing yes. in God. And he what, does. What God had revealed up until that Ab point. Absolutely. But that's it seems correct. to me they would have all, those who, I don't know about people apart from the, the you know I would consider Abraham a prophet and different things like that. But apart 
Though those people would have seemed to me have had some higher understanding of this messianic figure, that this is the, everything that was going on was going on for him. Yeah. So well, anyway. in you know a, a text that that uh, as far as them having a higher understanding is that amazing text in in um, John chapter eight. Mm -hmm where Jesus says, what did Abraham do about what you just said? Abraham, what? Believe. Oh, you're in Romans 4. <laughs> that, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Right. You know, Abraham saw right. my day and, and he rejoiced so he to see he my day. He would have had to have some understanding that wasn't really necessarily yeah. communicated within yeah. that lifespan of his. Right. But it, it could have been that Abraham understood mm -hmm. this seed promise. And right. he came to realize that he and Sarah mm -hmm. are going to bear this seed well, maybe that's going to lead to great blessing and salvation. Maybe he understood Adam better than, you know, he would have understand the the whole nature of Adam and who he who he was and what he represented. I, yeah, I don't I don't know. Well, I guess there's some correlation between Adam and Christ, and that Adam was uh, kind oh. of the representative was a uh, federal priest head and would be the theological right. term. Yeah, Romans five. Yeah. So there would have you know if the Messiah was coming then. Then you would think that well, he would said well that Messiah would have had to be like Adam, a second federal head. I've never yeah I've never thought about that. If, anyway, if you could <laughs> with the amount of revelation, if you could reason. Now we also don't know. Just because all we have is what's written, it doesn't mean that God didn't reveal more things to the patriarchs than we have. We have instances of it. But I think we make a mistake when we say, well, that's all that God ever revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God may have revealed more things to them that we don't have it inscripturated, right? Okay. understand there was some intrinsic understanding that they already had. Well, they had... It wasn't necessarily commuted in Scripture. Oh, you know, communicated in the Old Testament text, but it's something would, if knowing the whole thing, you would right. assume, hey, they probably did know this stuff. They had oral tradition, obviously, from Adam and Eve with Cain and Abel and Seth, they were offering sacrifices. They didn't invent that on their own, right? I mean, they didn't invent that on their own. So, you know, prior to Moses and actually inscripturating, they were carrying an oral, an oral tradition of things that God had revealed to them during that period of history. So, and that, that could have more things in it, Dave, than, than, we, than we realize. It probably does. So, okay, well... Um, <clears throat> No, this yeah, this is a this is a very you know good a good discussion, and I think we got here about yeah the means of forgiveness. Jesus is saying preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name, and how that's going to be transitioned out of the Mosaic covenant 
you know, into the new covenant. And well, so, <laughs> some of Christ's rhetoric wasn't it kind of implied that they should have understood some of this stuff? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. It was. Oh, you slow of heart to believe, understand and believe all that is written in the scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, rocket science. This is one on one stuff that you guys should be should know. Yeah, I mean, he he did not coddle their unbelief and and their lack of understanding the Old Testament correctly. He he did not, you know. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, boy, I got I'm gonna have more more time to do other things next week because I've got next week's uh, study notes already already prepared. <laughs> So we're on the, okay, I, I know I started all this by emphasizing the new means of forgiveness and, and trying to historically understand what it would be like if you were one of those believing Jews that were making this transition. Um, so let me see where we'll stop here. Um, uh, you know what? Why don't we just stop here? Because we're going to do the Holy, the promise of the Holy Spirit in John and in Luke, and we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that next week. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, it 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 thrills us as uh, our discussion. We can sit here and go all the way back and and see your your plan of salvation and redemption and, and all of these things. And we are, we are truly a privileged people, Father. So thank you. Uh, thank you for doing these things. And thank you for inscripturating uh, what we need to know. And, oh, Lord, uh, <clears throat> deliver us uh, from self-righteousness. And even if we are saved, and when we are saved, uh, the ugliness of of pride and self-righteousness, we find that stuff still present in our minds and in our hearts, Lord. And uh, we we thank you for the clarity of your gospel that that oh, we're just not saved by deeds of righteousness which we have done, but we are saved by your mercy uh, that you have manifested. Uh, and uh, so we thank you uh, for that. Uh, we pray that, that those that are stuck in self-righteousness, Lord, that you would deliver them. We pray that our children, that, that you, we, we know that our children are born this way. And it's a great privilege to be able to teach them your law and all of this. But we know that in their hearts, uh, we need the power of your Holy Spirit, or they will just be self-righteous. They, they will view, they will view themselves as, as, as not as great a sinner as all of those that the tower fell on, Lord. So we pray that you pour out the water and and how you have blessed us and converted many. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.